0: I hope you guys are doing well. I am super excited. I'm always excited, but today I'm excited to actually interview a fellow South African. Our guest today is the founder of Wasted, which is an educational project with the aim to actually reconnect people with wasted materials and send less to landfill. So Wasted is researching and using their eco brick as a tool to actually transform waste systems and to relearn sustainable building practices. And during this episode, we actually looked at what exactly is an eco brick and how it is a really important aspect to actually show people more about what is the impact of the items that can't be recyclable and also to try and find better solutions for those items that can't be recycled. And we had such an amazing chat and I'm super excited to introduce our next guest to you guys. So crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Candace Mostard welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's amazing to actually get to talk to you and hear a little bit about what you guys are doing. But, you know, before we start, I would just really like to know kind of how did your sustainable journey actually start?
1: Well, yeah, you know, I I went to a really Privileged school, I left school and I started um, studying photography and I went into working as a photojournalist in Cape Argus, Cape Times, which I really enjoyed because it gave me such an eye-opening experience of South Africa that I would have never had Hadn't I been in those kind of situations on the ground. And I met a gentleman who was introducing the Ecobrick to a small town called Grayton. And he was trying to throw a festival at their dump site and turn the closed dump site into a green park. And I thought it was such a, a great story. And I landed up going to Grayton for the weekend to do a story on him and what he was doing. And uh, changed my life because I just met this person who was talking about things that i had never even considered, uh, talking about how there were non-recyclable items, talking about compost. Um, and these were things that I actually had never been exposed to for the 20 years that I'd been living at that time. So it was pretty shocking that I had actually lived this this whole time without even questioning or considering these aspects. And it gave me a big wake-up call that no one was talking about these things and, and it was really important to speak about them. So I guess I was just the type of person that wanted to talk about it more and ask other people, I mean, do they know about this <laughs> stuff? <laughs> and yeah, it just it just landed up being something that I was good at to, to kind of share the information with other people. And I decided it was something that I could perhaps devote my life to or just, um, you know, share with others. So it's just something that I carried around with me. the eco brick and you know that kind of conversation that it started when you when you start stuffing plastics into a bottle it does become a conversation it becomes a connector and then i was asked to to help the organization that this american guy was being umbrellaed under during his time in south africa They were just a startup organization in Greaton called Greaton Transition Town. And they were looking at um, sustainable solutions in small towns in terms of water, energy, housing, electricity, what a sustainable village could look like. And the lady asked me to be their project manager when I was 20. (laughs) So I started working under her and learning from her. She was a lady from England who had done a lot of, she had a lot of experience in fundraising and, and NGOs herself. So I spent three years living in Grayton, living in a, in a clay house, a straw bale clay house, which was, again, another big inspiration for me. Just living in a structure like that, um, making my fires every night with pine cones, just really being emerged in nature while I worked for Grayton Transition And seeing the change that I could make in that small town was really a great example. We always thought for bigger cities or for bigger communities, if we could start small and see how the solutions could work, we could see how it could work on a bigger scale. Um, And then after three years, uh, I decided that it was time for me to go back to Cape Town, which is where my family was. So for a while, I was a little bit confused on, on what I should do. Should I start an organization? Should I... What should I do? I didn't really actually want to put myself in any type of brand or box or anything. I just wanted to talk about things and just be someone that was sharing this information. But after a while, it came to be that I had to kind of put a name on, on what I was doing and then I started Wasted full-time in South Africa. Well, first I, I did a part-time, I was also waitressing and doing other jobs at the same time, but then it became important that I do it full-time, otherwise I wasn't able to attend the school talks or be as present as I needed to be in order to make the changes that, that were needed. So I started Wasted full-time and yeah, it's almost been 10 years now. 've been on the street.
0: that's quite a journey, I mean, going from that to what you've done now, and yeah you've just mentioned you know starting wasted, so what exactly is wasted? Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is?
1: yeah, you know, I love that question because something that I still ask myself as well, and like I said, I didn't want to put it in a box I'd, even a name, it took me like really long to come up with a name, but um <laughs> Yeah, you know, wasted is first of all a passion project of mine. It's been the last 10 years of me, actually. It's really, it really has been mostly just me and my ideas and my visions for our community. I found it interesting and I found it something really important to devote my life to. Um, but technically speaking, we are a team of consultants and specialists within waste management and sustainable building. We're not yet registered as anything because we don't make more than a million a year is what you need to, to make as a business to, to register yourself. So so, But we do kind of have two aspects. So we have a business side, which is about waste management. So we, we've done a lot of events over the years, especially very conscious events like Green Pop and Learning Clan. And a few others like uh, uh, conferences and smaller events. And then we also do business and school consulting on that business side, helping them set up new systems in their business. And then on the other side is the more non kind of side where there isn't necessarily money, but there's still work to do. And that's mainly school education, helping schools through the process of changing their systems collecting eco bricks and building with them in this natural building, sustainable building style. And yeah, so it's very much evolved. You know, I, I, I didn't go start off with a business plan and, or, you know, some kind of a plan and said, this is how I'm going to do it. I just kind of allowed it to evolve with what was being asked of me. You know, I would literally just receive emails every single day and I would respond to the requests of
0: my community. And I mean, that is so, so important, that education and also to see what the community needs. And I haven't lived in South Africa for some time, but I have visited it very frequently. It's amazing to see what some of the processes is that's been happening and how people are becoming more aware of their waste and what can be recycled, what cannot be recycled. You know, if I just think of my family as well, you know, how they've started to adjust with recycling, because in a lot of places, there still is not the option of actually having a recycle bin. You just have one bin. And we had some someone previously on the podcast, um, Frank Solomon, that had an amazing project about these you know, street surfers that actually comes and collects people's waste. And they actually provide such a crucial service to the country because if they weren't doing that, a lot of the waste won't be recycled. And I mean, there's so many of those people around there. That you know we need to kind of shed a light on that as well, and uh, something that is so important because what you guys are doing with EcoBricks—it's not only providing housing, you know, at some point, but it's also getting rid of really hard-to-recycled items. In Australia, at the moment, we've got RedCycle that you can recycle your soft plastics with them, but not every country has an option like that, so. I would love to know more about the, your whole like Eco Brick project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And just, I think there might be some crazy birds out there that's going like Eco Brick. What What is an Eco Brick? And maybe just break down what is an Eco Brick and then tell us about the project.
1: An eco brick is a plastic bottle, pretty much of any shape or size. It does depend on your community and your country. If they are potentially working with eco bricks, they would be the one to tell you what bottle size they're using. But it's any shape or size plastic bottle that's stuffed tightly with clean and dry, non recyclable materials. So it doesn't actually only include plastics, which is what it mainly consists of, um, which is non recyclable, but there are other things like foil lollipop sticks I call it like little bits and bobs of random materials even fabrics and old panties for example are things that are potentially non-recyclable they don't have a formal system to be placed in and therefore they would end up in the oceans or in the rivers Or in landfill. So it's a diversion method to keep them out of those places and use it as a a formal brick, as something that can be useful as an insulative brick. It's not a weight bearing brick. So you would build your structure first, your roof, your strength poles, your foundation, and then you would just fill in the walls with the eco bricks and cob, which is a natural building method uh, or mix of sand, straw, clay, and water. And then after that, you would put a nice plaster layer and there's various plaster layers from more natural options to a little less natural options. But basically the idea behind putting them in cob is really important to speak about. It's something that we've been researching or trying to research. It's very expensive to fire test anything. And it's been a slow journey in South Africa, first of all, to get people on board for EcoBix, it probably was the first five to six years of just getting people on board. And then it's been the last four years of trying to get, you know, the proper funding and areas to to take it seriously in in terms of testing it. Um, But it has been around for almost 30 years, over 30 years actually in South America, Guatemala, Indonesia. My friend who introduced me to it is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So people have been using it already, but they've only really used it in this natural building method. And what we found in South Africa is people started embedding them in cement, which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if cement wasn't actually one of the biggest CO2 emission producing materials on the planet. I think in 2009, it was actually named as the most destructive material in the world. That was the Guardian that posted that in 2009. So, you know, a lot, not a lot of people understand how destructive cement can be. And they think it's a nice, easy solution to pop the ecobricks in. And that was one of the first kind of struggles that I had after many years of working with ecobricks here in South Africa, was that people just wanted to embed it in cement as a as a solution and and my work actually became a lot also around educating people about sustainable building practices but then of course having to also prove it was the tricky part but we were approached by Stellenbosch University just before Covid happened and they were able to fund some fire tests for us and we got to see in actual fact what we were always talking about how how the EcoBrick reacts to cement so the one thing that happens is that there's a chemical reaction that happens with the plastic bottle right against the cement where it actually kind of sticks to the plastic bottle. So if you were to take that structure down, it often breaks the bottle up or there's a little bit of a chemical reaction and it bursts the bottle open. So then that means in the future, you know, if that structure is taken down, the Eco break's null and void. It's just gonna go straight back to landfill. It's not gonna be able to be reused again. Whereas when it's straight against the cob material, it just is protected in that cob. There's no reaction that happens there. And when it's taken down, it's very easy to separate the, the, the mortar from the, the bottle. And then in terms of the actual fire tests, it was great to see that. So we, we built a whole bunch of test walls and there's two different styles so far in terms of uh, building a structure with it where you can either put them up vertically with chicken wire on either side. So you make a, a wooden frame, chicken wire on either side, and then you prop the eco bricks straight up and then you can basically put that cob mix in between that chicken wire and cover the whole thing. And that makes a nice thin wall, but it's a lot, little bit more labor intensive because you really have to stick your mm-hmm. fingers in there takes a bit more time, but that's a nice thin wall. And then the other option is to lay them down like bricks and and then cover the whole thing with cob. And then, of course, like I said, there's various plaster options. So you could do a very natural plaster option of the same kind of cob mix. People use dung and ash and things like that to strengthen it. And then on the other spectrum, one of the best options is lime which is actually what cement is mostly made out of, but it has about 50% less CO2 emission. And it was what was used before cement was invented or founded. It is what was used as our plasters before. So you'll see mostly inside houses uh, would be plastered with just lime. And then on the outside, they would use a cement And then you can even use a 50-50 lime cement mix, which helps the cement be more breathable because cement is not a breathable material at all, but clay and cob is. So the the structure actually expands and contracts um, and the cement wouldn't do that. So you would never be able to just put a cement plaster on a cob structure. You would have to um, do a lime cement half, half, 50-50. And that lime helps the cement breathe and it creates a really, really strong plaster. So it's not so much of, you know, being completely anti-cement, you know, <laughs> but just being aware of everything that you're utilizing, how it's going to be cared for in the future, how it's going to be taken down and dealt with afterwards. So for us, using as little cement as possible and educating people about that is very important to us as well. So yeah, that's how an eco-brick can be used. And in other countries, it's been used very successfully in this method and then in South Africa we've gotten you know we're the we're the rainbow nation so we've used it in all different ways and that's been great it's been great to see how people have explored it um and played around with it and one of the things that happened is that I started collection points for public so initially you know I just started um business and school programs where it worked quite nicely because it was a full circle project. So a school would contact us, would say, OK, cool, we want to build a little bench. We need 500 ecobricks. This is how we're going to do it through an educational project um, by helping the kids identify the materials, doing little work kind of sheets on, on what are these materials, where do they come from naming the top 10 items that they've stuffed and why they're not recyclable. And then ending off with a workshop where the the kids get to build the structure with us and with their ground staff so that the ground staff can learn the techniques of building the structure and so that they can maintain it in the future. And they can hopefully build the school or business, more structures moving forward. They don't necessarily need us. So they get a a nice certificate, a building certificate and um, off they go. That teaches them the skill of natural building as well, which has been really valuable. And also one of the main things that I love about including the natural building as part of the, the full circle project is that it connects us. And I think in South Africa, that's really what we need right now. We are so disconnected. So having a little build day with a business and a school or two different schools from different communities, throwing mud on each other, painting our faces with mud, and then building this beautiful structure with our own hands. You know, you can see the fingerprints in the structure before you put the plaster on. It creates those memories. And it's something that people will look after much better than just receiving something that they have no connection to, you know. So that's very important us. Um, oh, wow. But that's also a very slow process. Um, the way that I've been doing Wasted and working with EcoBricks, this is all slow stuff. People want quick, quick, quick solution. You know? So it's definitely been quite an interesting journey so far.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds fantastic. I've been looking at some different aspects of EcoBricks and I know there's many people that's for it and many people that's like against it because everyone is like, oh, it leaches. Plastic, you know, and it goes this and it, then exactly what you said previously about the cement, you know, when you ask them, well, what else would you use? And they would then say cement. And then you go into this deep rabbit hole of like, you know, ooh, did you know? You know, what I really love about the Eco Brick is that it is, I mean, it's not the, best most sustainable option if you looked at every single building option there is in the world it might not be you know the number one but it is one that actually diverts waste from landfills. so yes it's great how you guys combine that education because you know if we could actually make less waste then maybe there won't be enough stuff to go to create all of this what has been some of the buildings, so you've mentioned that school benches, but what other type of stuff have you done with EcoBricks?
1: So in the beginning, I always wanted to stick to smaller structures, specifically because we hadn't done the fire testing. There wasn't any of that information out there from the other countries that had done it for the last 30 years. There was only one engineer report, which looked really great. But again, it was in natural building methods. It was in, in cobs, So For me, if it was going to be a big structure, it was going to be a natural building structure. And so I always kind of didn't even look into that yet. I just was starting off with the small structures, those small connect moments to be able to empower individuals, to be able to go and build a little community center of benches and umbrellas to hang out in and just kind of see it as a, as a small solution. Also because the EcoBrick is only a temporary solution. And that's also why I didn't name our organization EcoBrick anything, even though it was our main focus was because it's not meant to be something that's forever. What's meant to be is that we use it as a as a tool to kind of connect with our waste and to educate people and then use it as a tracking tool and a, and a tool to set goals to kind of phase out these materials. And so after a while, you know, it becomes a mission to have to cut the packaging and, yeah. you know, and so you start thinking, well, actually, let me find someone else to buy my carrots from without this packaging so that I can avoid this whole process in the first place, you know. So that also only became clear to me like four or five years in. In the beginning, it was just like really just punting and getting people excited about eco bricks. And then after a while, one of my friends that messaged me and said, No, they're actually going to stop eco bricking now because. They just find that they buy stuff a lot and and they say to themselves, well, I can just eco-brick it. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's a really important point, actually, because people must understand that this isn't just a great solution. That this isn't a solution, really. Exactly. It's just a temporary stepping stone into getting into a better system here in our country and in the world. So that became a really main aspect for me over the time as well, to rather share that and to have these kind of smaller, slower projects that really hit home with these materials and really identifying them. And often people will come to me, like especially schools in South Africa, once we started the collection points, it it really boomed and people thought it was like this I don't know. There's a lot of naivety. We don't ask enough questions. I feel, and um, so people will just hear from an auntie that there's this eco brick project and it's so cool and great. You know, people want to do something and they get on board and they start making. And then they phone and they go, "Okay, I've got one thousand eco bricks that our school made. We're ready to donate them." But then they haven't ever considered perhaps contacting the the group first to find out exactly what are they doing with it and what's the process. So we landed up with like a huge amount of schools in South Africa wanting to just donate thousands of eco bricks wow. to us. And it yeah it it was it was such an interesting kind of consideration. And still to this day, I get phone calls from individuals and in schools who have never even considered using it as a tool like that. And they just want to do good and hand off their waste compared to really identifying what the problem is here and taking responsibility for it as their own waste. Because that's, you know, it's very easy to do that with recyclables. You know, people don't seem to have a problem with that. Compost, okay, a little bit now, now that people are hearing, okay, you know, South Africa is looking at uh, less less food waste to, to landfill. Okay, that's also my responsibility. But when it comes to chip packets and sweetie wrappers, (laughs) You know, they don't see that as theirs, as their responsibility. So, yeah, we built really, you know, small structures, uh, little wishing wells, garden beds, benches, and I can send you some cool pictures. But um, we can just go on our Facebook page. Then I met a really awesome guy called Peter McIntosh, who is the Natural Building Collective. And he has been building eco brick structures in Guatemala for many, many years already. And Guatemala has no recycling systems at all. So for Peter, you know, he sees that as a very simple and easy way to deal with the materials in that situation where they would be burning it right next to the river, for example. Whereas... Peter's specific feelings around South Africa and Ecobricks is that we do have the opportunity to recycle here. So we should rather focus on that than than Ecobricks compared to Guatemala, for example. But still, you know, all the, the positives that I've mentioned now as an education tool, as a connector, for me, it still feels extremely valuable. But he's been working with us here because the city was looking for, and this surprised me because I I didn't actually think that the city was so forward-thinking, but they put out um, a request for a pilot build for Early Childhood Development Center. Obviously, it's their responsibility to build 10 a year. So they wanted a pilot Early Childhood Development Center and the Natural Building Collective became the contractor for that structure. And then Peter incorporated EcoBricks into it. So that was officially the first you know, official big structure that was built with eco bricks, as well as other alternative and natural building methods. So the actual, the big, the whole structure itself was 60% natural building. Even the bricks itself only used 10% cement compared to, you know, full cement so there were there were natural building bricks in there there was uh, i think they used 4000 tires which has been a long standing alternative building method which is weight bearing you can put a roof on a tire wall mm. And then they used eco bricks on the internal walls of the the structure. So it was never passed as anything in that structure. Um, It was just seen as artworks within the internal walls. So that was the first kind of step. And because it was a government building, it was able to kind of be passed as an artwork and not much else was done in terms of fire tests or anything like that. But before all of this, I did build a, a, a rendezvous in Grayton at the dump site with the community in those three years. So that was the official first structure. And we used that as an outdoor classroom for all the years that we were there and used it as a space to rehabilitate that green park that the American guy that I told you about had initially started. I continued his project there and we we continued running eco crews within the local community with the schools and each school had a wall and we built that rondavel yeah. together. Then it was the Delft Early Childhood Development Center and now currently there's the Helderberg Nature Reserve this information center being built and I just recently posted about it because we provided the eco-bricks for it and we did the fire tests with Peter from Natural Building Collective as well because obviously it's it's a something that w- is within his work and he he wants to be able to show how cobb is doing such a good job at embedding these eco bricks so if we want to create a formal system in terms of bigger structures for eco bricks we we do need to formalize the weights of them and and um uh, yeah so we're on that journey now uh you know we've done the fire tests with ignis fire testing facility and Stellenbosch university with natural building collective we're on the road it just takes some time because it, it it was a student of kind of thesis that brought upon the the study or the the funds to test the options that we made and we yeah so now she's got to pass that thesis on to somebody else and so it's like it's quite a process um But there's also other ways around it, which is what I've kind of seen. Because, look, I'm not an architect or any kind of professional builder. My whole passion was that, especially when it came to natural building, it was almost more... Inspiring to me, then the waste management side of it initially, you know, I was coming from, you know, just leaving school. And I also didn't just like majority of South Africa didn't have necessarily anyone to pass me down land or a house. And I was really wondering, how am I going to survive in this world? You know, yeah. how am I going to afford? to build myself a house or to even buy a house or buy land and pay an architect and an engineer and all these types of things. And I started realizing, but I mean, isn't this my basic right to have a roof over my head? I mean, surely, you know, but how am I going to do it? I've got to work for the rest of my life to maybe one day when I'm like 50, have enough savings to buy a house, you know? So it was quite daunting. And so so when, when I saw the natural building element of the EcoBrick I was like, wow, I can do that. You know, I can build myself a structure, surely. And so I literally just watched some videos online. And in and there were some builders that had built that cob house, uh, the straw bale house that I was living in, the woman who had taken me on for Greaton transition time. So I learned from them. I just started practicing, you know, and then I was able to build my first bench. And I was like, OK, cool. You know, anyone can do this. We can all actually build our own structures. We can grow our own food. We can educate ourselves about the medicines around us and actually medicate ourselves a lot of the time by ourselves. Not saying that Western medicine is not needed and, you know, there's a place for everything. But specifically within within building, I was like, okay, this is something that I could potentially do. And and I wanted to inspire other people, especially because I had been working from the newspaper side of things where people were burning tires and protests Mm -hmm. for toilets at that time and Tire was something that you could build a structure out of as well, you know. So I kind of felt like, why don't we just build our own toilets? You know, what about compost toilets, for example? You know, when you start researching toilets and you start seeing how the waste was utilized as a great fertilizer and soils for communities for centuries before we started water systems.
0: Yeah, and I mean how much water it takes to just like flush the toilet, that is mind-boggling. Because if you just think of how many people have to walk how far to actually get some water and then it's not even clean water that they have access to and here we are just using perfectly drinking water and just flashing it away so yeah toilets I mean yeah we could probably talk about that for hours
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm also like it's like a very specific type of person that is interested in talking about toilets like toilets yeah toilets so excited about toilets yeah you know when you really look into it you start seeing you know how valuable it was in terms of crops beforehand and how devastating it's been on rivers and and oceans with with pumping sewage into our water systems so it's very insane that we haven't looked at more composting solutions And for me
0: it's really crazy that so many because like now we're looking at obviously building our tiny house and you know we were looking at a composting toilet but a lot of places are like no we won't allow you to have a composting toilet on this piece of land but if you maybe had a incinerator toilet that could be something that we might look at so you know now you're looking at oh okay now it takes so much energy to actually incinerate the the waste so yeah that's that's quite a quite a thing and i mean it's so important because just by talking about Waste and about eco-bricks, there is just so much that you know we still need to consider and look look at. But I mean that's that's amazing. And I'm so glad someone else is also <laughs> passionate about the toilets <laughs> um, with like the eco-bricks and everything. Some of our listeners might have listened to the episode with Paul Rubin from like nude foods, and that's actually how I found you guys because that was one of the drop-off locations where people could actually take their like eco bricks. So it's great seeing seeing that people are kind of using that. But like you've mentioned in the beginning, you know, you guys also focus on education and, you know, talking to different people. And there was something that I've kind of noticed that you guys have done. And that was like a zero waste school project, uh, which I thought was amazing. I think more schools need to be zero waste. Can you tell us more about that project? So That was super exciting because it's been a vision
1: of mine for a really, really long time. You know, I always think about most systems, you know, the hospital system, the school system, the whatever it is and how it could change. And um, yeah, so the school was always a big one, but I never really had the funding to do it. And then I started consulting for a company called Greater Tigerberg Partnership. Um, and they're mostly city funded as well to look at improving the Belleville district. So I started helping them with some projects and they liked the idea and they funded it for us. So it was really well funded. And it was a school that they chose in the Belleville area, which is DF Milan High School. And the school was was really passionate as well. Um, the teacher, Celeste Webner, honestly, it wouldn't have been as successful if it wasn't for her. She's an extremely passionate young lady was she's middle-aged lady. <laughs> um, just and a lady. Students, <laughs> very lovely lady. <laughs> and um, the the students as well, you know, they had a very good eco crew already established and the students were asking questions and already somewhat on par on asking questions in terms of the environments and, and the things around them. So I would say that if you didn't necessarily have that passion from someone in the school as the start it wouldn't necessarily be successful. So it was a very great pilot as our first school to do this project with because they had that. And we we went on to do a second school after that, and it wasn't as successful because of these, these reasons. And, mm. and I can chat a little bit more about it. But, yeah, so the idea was to, to redesign the system with the school. So we worked with the eco crew. We did workshops with the teachers and the staff. So that's everybody, ground staff, cleaning staff. And we had different workshops with the various people. And we got them all on board, whoever their ideas. Um, And then we mainly designed the the system with the students, with the Eco Crew and the cleaners. So we had these um, design workshops where we went around, we looked at where better bins would be. And then I also posed the questions for them to figure out what waste they were producing and where it was ending up and who else in their community was utilizing the different materials that they had identified. We decided to do a track your trash app um, because it was high school students and most of them were phone savvy anyway. So we decided that would be one of the best ways to help us track the waste initially. So first we did a tracking few weeks where we got the, those eco crews to take on various parts of the school and it was their responsibility to actually go through the waste and track each item, the kind of amount of items that was coming from each part of the school. And then we were able to have a rough idea of exactly the materials that were coming in. And then the second part was for them to look at who in their local community was utilizing these materials. So there was there was cooking oil because they've got kitchens. They had to try and find somebody who was using cooking oil all the recyclables, you know, phone each recycler, find out exactly what they do recycle. Cause that's something that there's a lot of confusion around is mm. what is recyclable and what isn't. Exactly. And the answer, there's no one answer, especially not in South Africa, because we don't have government or somebody doing a one thing. We've got these private companies who've all started their businesses in different manners and they've got different facilities and they've got different demands because of their local environment, their local community. So you really do have to pick up the phone and ask the recycler, do you recycle glass? Do you recycle metal? Do you recycle cardboard and paper? And then out of the plastics, which resin do you recycle? Mm. Because they don't always have each a facility or um, enough demand to, to accept each resin. And so that's a big, big part of the educational aspect is really connecting people more with those resin codes and understanding the system that we're currently in. And then they, through that research, because it has to come from them and just with our guiding to then to say, OK, this is the best recycler for us. They recycle most of the things that we ha- that we use. This is the best compost solution for us. It was either going to be, is there someone that can come and collect our food waste or can we do it on site? And because they were a big school and they have a, a nice amount of greenery. That they can add to their compost in terms of their garden waste it made sense to do a compost on site and then train the garden staff to turn that compost and turn that into soil so that became the solution for the food waste and the garden waste and they were trained by a horticulturist um, that we brought on board Then we set up a depot because that's also an important part. So it's the recycling bins that they decided where it was going to go and how we were exactly going to design the bins for their needs. Were we going to just have a three bin system, compost, recyclables all together and non recyclables and how were they going to process that? Were they going to put it in a bin and eco brick it later? Or were they going to put an eco brick on the bin and get people to eco brick immediately? Yeah, they designed it. We got the funds to get the bins. We set up a whole depot area. They had great space to do that. We connected all the recyclers. We had a big implementation day where the recycler was there. The eco oil, who is going to turn the used oil into car oil, everyone was there. So we got to meet everybody and play games and connect, set up the depot also by themselves, not here's a depot. Yay, 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 yay. You're the ones having the bags, putting up the signs. Where's the best place for this? How are we going to do it? And it was super successful. Within the first three months, we were able to send half of their landfill bins back. So obviously wow. with South Africa, we're all renting black wheelie bins from the government for them to come collect it and landfill it for us. And we pay a large amount for it. The school mm. was paying three was paying 6,000 rand a month for the 20 bins that we had. And so that's how we were able to track how how much less we were sending to landfill because they would fill all 20 every month for collection and pay 6,000. And then within those first three months, they were able to set aside 10 of them and save 3,000 Rand because within the new system, not as much was being, uh, landfilled. So that was amazing to see. And, um, yeah, I was super proud and super happy to see it so successful. Yeah. And then we went on to the second school, which also was good, but, but like I said, you know, the, the, the passion wasn't necessarily there. And especially when it comes to fundraising, often the funders choose the schools themselves, and we don't often have a lot of control over that. Mm. So it's just chosen because it's in the right area or, yeah. you know, some other reason and it's not because the school genuinely has a passion for it so if you don't have that you're not going to put the effort that's needed into separating things properly because there's going to be a lot of mistakes you know it's not a perfect thing and you need to keep keep at it you know and if you don't have that initial care then you're not really going to keep it going because it's not of, of main interest to you yeah
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. And I mean, there's so many of our crazy birds that actually listen that, you know, whether you have kids at school or, you know, whether you actually work for a school or just like live close to a school, there's always stuff that we can ask them to kind of consider and see how it goes and I mean it also doesn't have to be a school it could be your favorite restaurant around the corner which I'm targeting at this moment just because I've seen (laughs) what they throw in our recycling bin and you know so we'll see how it goes so with all the work that you guys have been doing what has been some some of the feedback you know that you've been getting from the community? that's either been involved in your eco-brick projects or some of the waste education programs? Hmm.
1: I had really an interesting young man interview me for his thesis, and he was specifically looking at your impact. And that's one thing, I guess, that I haven't been so on board with in terms of really creating a proper impact assessment of the work that we're doing which is something that we're trying to create now to really try and see exactly how we can create better impact and how we can record it because it's quite tricky. But in terms of of the people that I speak to every day, yeah, it's what keeps me going because, you know, there'll be people that phone me and say their whole household has changed, that their child... Is so passionate about it, and they've gotten the whole family to do it now. You know, I think it's it's just one of those things that that has the power to to change the eco brick itself. You know, I wouldn't say um, our work necessarily. I feel like the you know just the act of stuffing itself makes you go on your own personal journey. And that's what I hear from people, just what the same experience that I've had of a really eye-opening experience and wherever that takes people, you know, I mean, the feedback, obviously from the schools that we've worked with, the businesses that I've consulted for, they've been amazed that they haven't, that they didn't ever think about it like that.
0: Yeah. Cause sometimes the idea is right there, you know, it's right in front of you something so simple that can make such a difference.
1: Yeah, so a lot of people are pretty shocked and, and kind of overwhelmed sometimes by me. I think I'm also like, uh, you know, I talk a lot and I've got a lot of information. So after a conversation with me, they tend to go, OK, wait, I need to like rethink my whole life here because and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the schools, they don't have the capacity to make these big changes. You know, even the events that we, we work with, there's not many events that are willing to take it so far. To really say, can I only send two kgs to landfill? Yeah. You know, they're kind of like, no, no, you know, we don't really, nah, you know, and the way that I do the events is also like really, and I can understand why they wouldn't want that necessarily, because we put people at the bins. So that was one of the first things that I realized. So after doing this Grayton project and coming to Cape Town, Green Pop, I don't know if you know them, they're tree planting. They're super cool. So it's been almost yeah six, seven years now that I've been working with them. And because they were also just young, passionate people, they gave me the opportunity to explore in their in their festival. So I came as a they were having their festival in Zambia and they were looking for partner projects. So, you know, someone to paint a mural, someone to do whatever. And I was going to do an eco brick bench. And then because I was part of the team and I was working with EcoBricks to build this bench, they were like, oh, don't you want to help us with the waste management? And so before that, I wasn't even considering, you know, getting into more deeply into waste management. And I was like, OK, well, I guess since I'm working with EcoBricks, that's what I should do. And, and that year was particularly, uh, I had a lot of tears because it was, it was a lot to handle. But what I realized was that participation was so vital, just as it is in the EcoBrick and how you connect with it. So what we did is we set up a depot. I set up a depot and then I had two bin stations. And because Green Pop already had groups for tree planting, so you know each group would go on to different sites, we set up a system where each group would come and do the waste with me in the morning. So that group would wake up a bit earlier. We would go and empty the two bin stations, take it to the depot, clean the things that were dirty, put it in the right place, turn, flatten the tetra packs and hang them up, Uh, we had a, um, a briquette maker because in Zambia, again, no recycling systems at all. So cardboard, we were turning into fire starters and, um, soaking the cardboard and then briquetting it. And again, it's all environmental solutions. So here we are in Zambia, it's not going to be the same solutions as in Cape town. You have to adjust and adapt. So that was my first realization that, that this is the answer, it's participation. And exactly. and so then those people that had had those sessions were much better using the bins in the next few weeks because now they knew where it was going. They yeah. were part of that so they were able to use the bins better so when I went ahead and did more green pop events we would always incorporate that kind of aspect to the point where I didn't even have bins in some events we would just have one big depot and we would do pre-education beforehand on how they could separate their waste at their camp and then they had an opportunity between nine and eleven to come to the depot would be playing funky music put on some some have some nice drinks or something to offer them. And then make it like this fun waste to resource depot. So it's not like a dump site. Yeah, it it's sounds a cool. Where you're coming in and you're turning everything into a resource and everything's clean and ready for you to use again. So exactly. imagine for a school, oh, I've got a project. I need some tin or I need some cardboard to make something. I can just go into the resource yeah. depot and find those materials that I need, you know. So the depot, that concept was amazing. It was really cool. And it was also the space for people to chat because now, you know, we're sitting there together. We're going through this bin. Sometimes people would just dump mixed bag full of meat and disgusting oh, stuff. Gosh. And then we'd be sitting there going through it, oh. feeling emotions, talking about <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> and that's where, you know, the change would happen and the connecting would happen. So, that was what I decided was how I was going forward. I wasn't going to do waste management in any other way, yeah, and so it did vary for a more fancy conference that we once got asked to do. I just had two depot, two bin stations, and then we had volunteers stand at the depots basically all colorful and as people wanted to come throw things away then they would be met by someone who was going to have a conversation with them (laughs) or not
0: (laughs) okay because that that can be a little bit intimidating if you're not if you're not in the right mindset and you're like hang on are you the bin police like you know (laughs) that's that's me I'm normally that person (laughs) Not not the person that has an issue with it. The person that actually like looks at what are you throwing away. Like, hey, you no, know, that goes in that one. <laughs> but if you wanted to, if you want to be serious about it and you want to send
1: nothing to landfill, then you've got to do something mm. serious about it because people don't know how to separate properly. I call it the bin dance when they get there and they're like, oh, um,
0: uh. yeah, you don't know, and then you just put it in the closest one. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. And, and also
1: because the bins
0: are so different. If you go to a VNA
1: waterfront, it's going to be different to your local community center, or whatever, because everyone's doing different things. There's so much confusion. So I thought if there's someone there to ask questions. And the thing is how I prepped the volunteers was that don't you don't necessarily need to converse with everybody. You know, some people don't want to be spoken to, and that's fine. You know, you let them do their thing. You know, you step back a little bit and oh, they were uncomfortable for one second, you know, hopefully it made them consider something in the future. And I mean, that one conference didn't ask us back again, <laughs> but we were able to send only two KGs to landfill from their event where they oh, would wow. have been sending bags and bags and yeah. bags, you know. It's different, um, and it's not for everybody. And I've I've worked in different forms. So we did a small town beat, which is kind of like a Rocking the Daisies festival. Mm-hmm. So it's quite big, and I, and we didn't do the bins, but we helped consult them to how to separate the waste. So instead of having like all the glass, metal, da 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 da, we just did compost recycling, eco brick. We had more of an educational aspect there, so we had a stall, and then you could get like free tequila shots if you brought a full eco brick. uh, Wow,
0: I'm sure sure many people was motivated (laughs) by that. Oh goodness,
1: they were, they were, you know. Played around in different forms of you know who's our who's our market and and how can we best encourage them to do the best thing um, and I understand that that uh, the the bin police I've had so many bin ideas you know like uh, having someone like hide behind the bin.
0: Wrong! oh god
1: that would be no, fun or like a music thing or lights or you know there's many different ways that one could do it but yeah it's been amazing to see like one of the most successful ones is the vegan lifestyle festival that we did and that was 2,000 people in one day so it was nine o'clock to four o'clock 2,000 people came in and out we only had one depot so you know, it was an open market, and but we just cr- created one kind of depot instead of lots of bin stations. And we worked with the the all the stalls beforehand for their back-of-house waste, which also becomes quite a big waster. And, yeah, we, we were also, again, able to send so little to landfill. It was so impressive. Like, it shocked me, basically, because I just couldn't believe how... And how many people were actually interested? It was more people that were interested in talking and were grateful to have somebody to ask the questions to than the one or two odd people that didn't necessarily want to have the conversation. Yeah. So I think people do want to have the conversation and they don't really know where to ask. So it's been really great to, to be in those platforms, to, to be able to connect with people and to speak with them.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Well, you guys have definitely been doing some amazing work and been following what you guys have been doing. And it's it's really amazing. So good on you guys for that. I guess we didn't speak about the collection points.
1: And it is an interesting one because it brought on the public in a way that excited the whole of South Africa. And I think that's why Ecobricks got to where they are today in terms of everyone knows about them is because we opened up the public drop-off points. But it it became a really big question for me then about... The formal systems for these wastes, for this waste in our country, and yeah, like I like I was explaining about the schools that contact me with the thousand eco bricks. There's a lot of misinformation of these drop-off points, and and what happened after that was that other people jumped on board, like pick and pay, thinking that they're going to open nationwide. And then stop stop collecting nationwide. And there was a project called Eco Brick Exchange that started collecting and then stopped collecting. And that was quite difficult for us because we had continued collecting, but then there were these other ones that got people really amped and more people making eco bricks, and then, whoop, not many people collecting eco bricks anymore. And then a yeah. lot of pressure on us to try and deal with all these eco bricks that were coming in. And that's why we started the Back Your Brick program because. I started realizing, you know, I always wanted it to include everybody. And that's why I did it for free for four years but it got to the point where we just couldn't fundraise fast enough to back the amount of public waste we were receiving. Yeah, And of course, on an individual level of my friends and family were saying, yo, Candice, like, what are you doing? You know, you're actually carrying the weight of all these people's waste on your shoulders. So I, I used to feel really bad about it. You know, I don't want to stop these collection points, but they're not really being sustainable. Mm. So that's why I decided, you know what, whoever does want to support me in the back your brick program please, you know, and if you can't, then that's also fine. And I get many people that phone me like uh, two days ago, I had a Mario Smith, uh, a pensioner who was very upset because he had made 25 eco bricks over COVID and he doesn't have enough money to pay. And I, and I was so grateful that he phoned because he started off very angry, but after speaking to him at the end, he was much happier and happy to donate monthly, just, the big 250 rand was just a bit too much for him with his pension that yeah. he gets. So of course we accepted the, those 25 eco bricks for him because he's an amazing, passionate person, just like all the others that are out there that are making eco bricks. Is because they really care and they're putting a lot of effort into it. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a cost after that to transport them and to actually build with them. So yeah, we appreciate all the support from everyone who has um, now started backing their bricks with us. And we hope that the city will will work with us more in the future in terms of a more sustainable solution for them. And that doesn't always have to be paying for EcoBricks for a sustainable collection, because otherwise I would just have to do what Pick and Pay and EcoBrick Exchange have done and just stop collections. And that wouldn't help in terms of creating a, a, a nice project out of this. So yeah, it's been great to accept my, the value of, of this work. Now actually to have a little extra funds, it doesn't cover the, the, the costs at all, but it, it's something that helps with the other funding that we do to, to, to try and do more builds here.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And Candace, what has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth?
1: I think it's it's um more on a personal level I uh, kind of have two answers and the one the one was having um, a home birth I've had two I had two children and both of them have been home births and that was a really amazing experience in terms of all the fear that was around having natural birth and taking the power as a woman to know that that's what women have done for centuries and and that you actually can that was super super empowering and I and cause it's something that connects us to earth. You know, it's, um, it's, we are animals. We are part of nature in this animal way. And we, and, um, So that that was a really, really uh, special one for me. And the other one was using reusable nappies and alternative reusable sanitary products like reusable pads and um, moon cups, because I think it makes a big difference long-term. It's difficult. It's not always easy. I speak to it's another little passion project of mine, trying to help people doing little workshops like sometimes I do it called the mama and baba workshops and try and share more about reusable nappies and alternative sanitary products. But yeah, I think it's, it was one of the best things that I could have done for, for the planet is, is make those choices, even though it it was hard cleaning all the nappies all the time, (laughs) but I never used one single use nappy. And I think it Definitely made a difference for oh, the wow.
0: earth. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it has such a big impact. I mean, I don't have children and I don't know about the nappy cleaning, but we do have like the pee pad issue with the dogs. And I am very proud to say that I did not buy one single pee pad. And she's just been peeing all over the house. So we've been cleaning <laughs> it. But yeah, so oh, that's amazing. Um, Candace, we are now going to move into our final five. First one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Uh, I don't actually follow a lot on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not so good
1: on it. But um, when I do, it's uh, trail-free divers. I
0: love watching what they're doing under the water. Cool. We'll definitely check that out. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I hope that people
1: will ask questions more and connect more with, with Earth and with the planet. I think asking questions on everything is really important and just finding out as much information as they can before making decisions.
0: Awesome. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to actually help out Mama Earth? I think trying out
1: um, reusable options in in the, a lot of the things that you do. So looking at...
0: at every little aspect and um seeing if there's a reusable option for it awesome and what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people that is not yet on a sustainable journey
1: (laughs) oh shame i mean i try and not even converse until they ask questions (laughs) because i don't want to be that person but um I think talking about cement often is the is the best fact that I can give them that it is one of the most destructive materials on the planet, one of the biggest CO2 emissions on the planet that often gives them a bit of a a bit of a fright, a bit of a question.
0: <laughs> awesome. and Candace where can people actually find
1: you? Yes, so you can find us on our Facebook page, uh, wasted SA. Or you can find us on our website and all our contact details are there. Uh, My personal cell phone number. So just give me a ring and I'll connect more with you and help you out where I can.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And I am definitely linking all of that up in the show notes. So if you guys want to know where to find her, go and check it out in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. You too. Have a beautiful day. And that's a wrap huge thank you for our amazing guests for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us you can find the show notes of this episode on the mama Earth website the biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast if you have not already listened to all of the episodes you can go back to a few of them you will absolutely love them i really enjoyed recording every single one of them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes so if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal which is at Zero Waste Mariska or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk or send me an email at hello at Mama dot com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.